It's reporters assemble. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, you heard it. The sports reporters. Oh yeah, all three sports reporters back together again. What a what a nice thing. What a what a pleasant Friday we have in store for you folks. I'm joined by. Robert Silverman of the Daily Beast up no, there. No, you should mention Andrew first. Well, that he's back. the main event. He's the main event. He's oh, coming back. Okay. I was getting you out of the way. Oh, good. Do that. Anyway, hi, it's Bob. <laughs> hey, Bob. Go on. How are you? I'm fine. I just want to hear from Andrew now. Okay. Also here, Andrew Hammond making his triumphant return on the pod after two weeks away of the Detroit Free Press. Andrew, are you all familyed out? What was the experience like for you surprising your mom? Tell the listeners. Uh, you you did a bit. Yeah. You did a thing. Yeah. So I came in, surprised my mother. Uh, I told her that I was going to be in Memphis, where she resides. I told her I was going to be there like next week or two weeks after, because I told her that, oh yeah, NASCAR is in town this week, and you know the Lions game. So basically, I'm just like super, super swamped, which. I'm not, but you know, had to, you know, had you had to kind of deflect and everything. So basically, I just showed up to like, uh, we had like a family movie night in the backyard at my grandma's house, and I just like walked into the backyard and it's like, hi, mom. Like I wasn't gonna say anything at first, but you know, when you haven't seen your mom in over a year, the first thing you want to say is hi, mom. And so yeah, no, it was awesome. It it was great. Um. I don't know if I'm going to see her during Christmas because I may go see my dad because, you know, this whole Delta variant. Shout out to uh, America for um, <laughs> for, basic, for, for for basically getting us into the red zone. And then we decided to have like three holding penalties in a row. And now that we're, we're like about 45 yard line. Um, in, so- in our in our desire to be done with the pandemic half is. In half the amount of time, we may be doubling the amount of time we're in the pandemic. It's, oh, it's a truly, it's a wonderfully American way. Well, you know what's crazy? So, like, yes, not yesterday, but um, on the plane back, uh, I was supposed to have a middle seat, and nope, I know. on well, which you know, eh, you know, whatever. But as I'm, you know, checking, you know, as I, you know scan my boarding pass on my phone the lady says oh hold up just one minute and i was moved up a row and it just for spacing because they wanted to get people spaced out and i noticed that on a flight uh when i flew from uh, seattle to atlanta to visit my sister last year and i noticed they did that and i was like oh they're doing that again and as i'm walking you know into the plane i'm like Oh crap! They're doing that again. Like so, yeah. It's just as much as I enjoyed last weekend, which I did. The realities of where we're at in this pandemic, among other things in this country, is just so draining. So that was like a nice, uh, you know, welcome back to reality moment for sure. Hmm. I like it. I've, I haven't flown on a plane since this all began. Same. I haven't really, I haven't really left uh, 
the tri-state area. So it's been a while. I've gone from Manhattan to Brooklyn and back. Got mm-hmm. to Queens once. Um, one brief trip to New Jersey. But, uh, yeah, I haven't really left this pocket of the East Coast since December 2019. So, yeah. Hey, Bob. That's a thing. Yeah, what? Do you wanna do you wanna hop on a plane? Forget about it. Do you get it? The New York thing, and you don't travel outside of the tri-state area anymore. Did you, did you get Jeez, that one? That was very Mets of you. <laughs> yeah, that was lame, man. Like like Chase, I love you, buddy, but swing and a miss. That's a that's a Steve Cohen on Twitter ass comment. <laughs> well, that's a good transition. Got him. That is a good transition. Oh, Let's get into God. your very online New York Mets owner. Not not pleased with the offense. Not pleased with uh, the New York Mets falling behind their season is a is in a spiral. Couldn't be my they're, team, they're, Bob Sutherman. They're getting their testes stomped by the goddamn Atlanta Braves again. That's, it's it's so, a tradition you know. unlike so, any other. Who so who doesn't love it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking about this the other day. What it would have been like if uh, George Steinbrenner had had access to social media when he was running the Yankees. And and it would have been kind of like this, just poorly written, dickish, ill-considered tweets at the worst possible fucking time. Mm. I mean, it's like, stop fucking tweeting. Fix the team or not. But just, I don't, it's not funny. It's not engaging. I don't feel like you care more. I feel like you're just a rich asshole doing this because you want to it will not make all of us great huddled unwashed masses and Mets fans like you anymore you are by definition of being that wealthy a dick you will always be a dick so maybe put together a winning baseball team hey Bob uh, uh, yeah are you uh you upset over there buddy I'm mad both on and online and offline. <laughs> I'm, I'm mad. So, weren't the weren't Mets, the Mets kind of like a sleeper, trendy pick for the World Series this year? Nah, I think everyone thought, well, if everything or it was out, like it was like a deep, run. or it was it was like a deep playoff run, kind of. They could they could have made a run. They had what appeared to be a very solid one through eight offense and uh, an above average at least pitching staff. Right, and like, they like don't the have either of those. Win you things. a series, like it, yeah. Like it, it seemed like the pitching staff was like, okay, if they get in the postseason, if you get in that first round, if that pitching staff is good enough the to get started, you. Everyone to... thought, hey, you're going to run Degrom, Stroman, Carrasco, and Walker out for four games. You've got a better than average chance of winning each one. And with DeGrom, you've got an excellent chance. So, you know, what the hell? If they all get hot at the right time, who knows? Yes, DeGrom um, is dead, which is sad. But, you know, he died. He kind of went full Matt, almost almost went full Matt Harvey without the No, I mean, like, his stuff is still great. He just can't. I mean, this is something that sort of really freaked me out. And I'm not enough of a physiologist, you know, like. I am not a doctor or sports science expert in any you way. You just play one on TV. Right. But it seems to me, a layman, that you cannot throw as a starter 
100-mile-an-hour fastballs and ungodly 93-mile-an-hour sliders all the time and not pay for it. All the time <laughs> and not have the arm yeah. go kablooey. Like that the arm was is my like, worry. Lotto, I don't fit you. Right. Three years ago, the Brom, DeGrom's fastball was averaging 97. Six years ago, seven years ago when he came up, it was sitting at around 94. He has gained at a minimum five miles per hour of average velocity on his fastball. He has not radically changed his motion. You know, he's tweaked a couple of things. He's not covered his hands in some kind of viscous, gooey substance in order to accomplish this. He's just, you know, gotten steadily better. But nobody knows if the human arm can do that repeatedly. And don't say Nolan Ryan could. Uh. I mean, yeah, maybe Ryan was the mm. one guy who could pull it off and not have his arm turn to guacamole. So, oh, Bob, you actually had a, you brought up a good point. Sorry, Chase, if you were going to talk. But he, my uncles and I, because my uncles all through in like middle school and high school, and we were watching – the Little League World Series. And we're watching this kid and, you know, basically they're on pitch counts. And this kid was on an 85 pitch pitch count or whatever. And my uncles were sitting there just kind of like they understood why he needed to be taken out of the game. But it was just kind of like the way pitchers are treated now compared to like, you know, of course, back in the day. And the game has changed but it's well, just I mean, so amazing to see how how a guy like DeGrom could go. Like, say if this were the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, DeGrom has 90s. had five years of being pretty much – like, he has not had – you know, he had – I think he had, like, Tommy John surgery, like, after college before he reached the big leagues. And that's why he switched to shortstop from shortstop to the mound. But he's been healthy. It's just that every year he keeps throwing harder. And there is no precedent in baseball history for a guy throwing harder at 33 than he did at 27. So we don't know. And right now it looks like because he's just had nagging injuries all year and now something called inflammation that they don't even really know what it is. So... Uh, what the hell? I mean, he might be gone. In any case, the Mets, uh, the Mets are not going to make the playoffs. It's it's fine. Their manager is also terrible, compounding everything else. Wait, he's, who, he's wait not, who's the manager there right now? It's Luis Rojas. Oh, he's that's a longtime right. minor league guy. He's he's a relative of the Alou family. He's just not very good. But he also wasn't um, supposed to be the manager. Like that. No, uh, it's supposed to be Carlos Beltran, who yeah. I maintain they should have kept. I mean, they could easily bring him back. Like, the well, Alex Cora is just back to normal. What serves that ban? Wait, say that again. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't he, banned or anything. He wasn't banned at all. The Mets just fired him. The only people <laughs> who were given a ban were Cora and Hinch, and they're both back yeah, in the yeah. And Hinch is here in Detroit, so mm-hmm. who was also in a very uncomfortable situation this week. Um, what do you yeah. what do you make of it, of that, Andrew? I, it's not on my notes, but. We talked about it on the pod with Fangraphs John Taylor this week, um, but what did, what did you make of the the Jack Morris? Uh, so here's the thing: if it 
if you think you're trying to make a a culturally it, like it, if it's even in the realm of oh this might piss somebody off or this might piss a group of people off don't do like don't ethnic humor do man it. ethnic Maybe, humor I think we I think we've moved we haven't moved past ethnic humor being funny haven't we it's just not that funny it's just no and so okay so full disclosure I was so when I I didn't hear I have not heard it I have not heard it I've just seen what's been said and I was actually I was actually laying in bed when I got the alert from the Detroit Free Press ESPN all the and and like I'm getting the alert basically like 10-15 minutes after it happened and I'm just like you know what not even gonna listen to it. Not <laughs> even going to give it the views worthy enough. And yeah, it's kind of like it. Like we we need to stop making cultural jokes that one aren't funny, two that are gonna piss a bunch of people off. And if you're gonna make a cultural joke, or if any, if anybody is going to make a cultural joke, let it be the person from the culture who's making the joke. I'm not saying that I endorse it, but if you're gonna like if you're gonna do that, let it be from the person's culture. Let it be from that person. I'm sure Shohei Otani has a lot of jokes. I'm sure there's a lot of players from various backgrounds who have a lot of jokes that could tell a joke. But yeah, if it's going to piss a group of people off, don't tell the freaking joke or keep it to yourself. Like just it feels like we're we're people are making people are using their five cent brain to cost them thousands of dollars in decisions. Like the and it's just so annoying. And so when I saw it, like, oh, Jack Morris is getting the Bob Brindley treatment, where uh, he might be back, more than likely won't, because when I saw. Pretty much both the organization, the Tigers organization, and Tigers manager AJ Hinch come out with, yeah, not like that's not cool at all. Like that had me thinking, yeah, it's it's billable hours time, and he's probably done. They're just uh, sorting out the contract at this point. Yeah, let's get Curtis Granderson Granderson in there. Let's do that. I wouldn't hate it. Let's do it. Yeah, no, it's just, I also wondered, like, because there was, like, a Elmer Fudd aspect to it, where they were, like, he, he was trying to do Elmer Fudd. It w- no. And if yeah. you listen to that, no. I don't I don't think so. I don't think. If, it was if, a if, bad if want, ethnic if, accent. If, if, I don't think he did it well. Yeah, that's why I mean, people were, like, is it an Elmer Fudd thing? And I was, I, I, when I heard it the first time, there was, Elmer Fudd did not pop up look, into my head. Funny voice acting is a very specific skill. Mm -hmm. It is hard to do good funny voice acting. Yes. Benicio Del Toro does excellent. Are they able to say Borat? No, that's that's different. That's a character with a funny voice. Mm. Listen, this is is my turf, Your Honor. There's (laughs) a difference between having a character with a comical accent Mm -hmm. or funny voice acting. Which is you pick a funny voice and then try to build a character around it. Like 
Tom Hardy does this a lot. Tom Hardy will pick an incomprehensible way of speaking and then just build the entire character around that. Which is not what Jack Morris was doing either. Hmm. It's, Jack I'm Morris just saying just it's did you? I mean, uh, people. I forget who had tweeted this, but there was. There's a story from. Uh, did you guys read or you there at home? Um, Dave McKenna, when he was a Deadspin, wrote a really, really just heartwarming and and very sad and upsetting. Not heartwarming. Sorry, the opposite of heartwarming. Really, just a a very in like very sad. Let's leave it at that profile of Jennifer Fry, who is a longtime sports writer, first with the like the Washington Post and then the New York Times and also the Detroit Free Press for a while. And she had an encounter when Morris was pitching for the Tigers. Oh where, yeah. I learned this in journalism school. Yeah, Jennifer Fry was a very talented sports reporter who unfortunately just drank herself to death. And but she did while she was working with the Detroit Free Press, like go up to Jack Morris and try to ask him a question. And he's sitting there in his like long underwear and says basically said, like, I don't speak to people when I'm naked, especially women, unless they're on top of me or I'm on top of them. That was in 1987, I think, when he said that. Yeah, just so there's some Jack Morris for you. Oh, case. yeah. yeah. Wasn't Morris, am I misremembering now? I'm just retconning his whole history, but wasn't Morris universally just loathed by the Tigers and around Major League Baseball? Uh, yeah, he was, I know it was around Major League Baseball. I'm not sure if it was just the Tigers because I had this conversation with a friend of mine when we were talking about Hall of Fame guys and guys who need to be in the Hall of Fame. And we're sitting there. And we basically kind of had like a, a line for each sport, you know, like NFL is Ken Anderson line. Like if 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 it, like he's like the perfect barometer for Hall of Fame, then I said, you know, Jack Morris is the barometer for Major League Baseball. And his first immediate thought was, yeah, F Jack Morris. And I was just like, all righty, then. Yeah, um, nobody like. Liked- Jack is like like yeah. Jack Clark. Nobody liked him either. Um, also a bit of a bigot as far as the reporting goes. Um, right. Everyone hated Jack Clark. Dave Kingman is another notorious Major League Baseball because asshole. it's like yeah, it's like guys who if they were if they weren't such a dick, they would probably be in the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, you could you could make a case for Jack Morris. Yeah, Jack Morris um, one of the best pitchers of the eighties. You know. Advanced metrics probably not as impressive as the twenty win seasons were back then, but still a dominant pitcher for a long and per- time. And perhaps maybe put one of the best pitching performances together in postseason history. Yeah, there you um, go. But, so like, you know, it's like there would have been enough. There would have been enough. And and yeah, he was just like, yeah, there's a reason he's not in there. And then. It was like, oh, yeah, that's probably the same reason Barry Bonds won't go in, um, which I think is stupid. But, you know, let me let me let me get let me let me get off that tangent. But, yeah, uh, Jack Morris. I'm good on that, dude. Yeah, I also just think baseball needs to clean house a little bit. And I think a lot of um, professional sports leagues are dealing with this reckoning where it's like you kind of just the grouchy old color commentator. 
just needs to needs to go. They need to get younger. They need to get people who actually like baseball in the booth and that are excited about the game. And there's a drive deep to left field. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that and you need broadcasters who one can. It, it, Major League Baseball broadcasting is in this weird space right now where you have really, really good storytellers. Joe Buck, Aham's per- close personal friend, Joe Davis. Um, yeah, like there's just – there's a lot of good storytellers and there's a lot of guys who can help carry a game as an analyst. But nationally, there is a bit of a struggle in terms of – how do we keep our broadcast interesting without going to a place in freaking Iowa? Even though that was cool, it shouldn't have taken. Oh man, baseball is kind of cool when you when you take it out of the mundane atmosphere. But yeah, no, broadcasting is. They should have let Costner feel a couple of grounders. They should have put Costner. At <laughs> no, they should not have. <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool. Both no. Teams- in the Field of Dreams game next no. year, both teams mm-hmm. should be forced to play with one actor from the movie in the lineup <laughs> for at least an inning. You know That's what? My... The, and, and all of a sudden, I just hear Yankees fans uh, begging for Ray Liotta to be the Yankees manager. I was going to say, which... it's actually the Cubs There's... and the Reds next year. Cubs and Reds. Cubs are getting Cubs are getting Timothy Busfield playing first base like he did in the movie. <laughs> Little big, little big league. Okay, so I have I have one request to Major League Baseball. If you're listening, I know Manfred loves the pod. We we had the uh, you know we had the old time unis. I want the 1970s big red machine uniforms, and then the Cubs. They have to be the actual uniforms. You want the blue ones with the white pinstripes that the Cubs wore those years, the yes. Bill Buckner ones? Yeah. Yes. But they have to be tight. Yes. No more oh, of this baggy shit. You can't wear baggy pants. No. No. We, you're we wearing... want you uncomfortable as shit. <laughs> what are you even talking about now? What is happening? Uh, what is happening? Um, you're welcome. Thank you, Andrew. I missed uh, I missed these tangents. Um, Bob, back home in New York, one of your you, this is not the owner of your sports team. Your sports team owner is usually off gallivanting in Europe for for bad administrations. Um, but John Mara went on and gave an interview or a press conference talking about the new NFL taunting rules and how much disdain there was at the the league office among owners front offices about the the taunting and how prevalent it is in uh, today's today's sports ball and uh the nfl has started throwing flags at dudes who hop up after a 15 yard run and then just stare down the person that tackled them after a first down we saw that in the colts game a, a few days ago um, what do you make of the NFL cracking down on taunting? And is there any any path to this not being a disaster? Back to you, Andrew. 
Yeah, I don't know what happened to Bob. <laughs> uh, yeah, I absolutely hate the taunting rule. Mm-hmm. I I think it's so dumb because you gotta remember, we've been in like this six to five to six year cycle where it's like, oh yeah, no, no, everybody's got to have a celebration. We had a freaking celebration cam put in the end zone. What was it? Two years ago. Then they got elevated last year because of, oh yeah, by the way, there's no fans. So basically after an interception, the entire, like 20 guys will run down to an end zone and pose. But now we can't have, uh, somebody flexing on somebody after a hit. Really? That, like, that's a bridge too far. So it's, it is basically this strange, if we can get some money out of it type of system. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm so over the NFL. And, and, and this is my theory, and I hate, you know, like, you know, having thrown the tinfoil hat on. Um, but I, I, I want to say that if the NFL could actually make money off of the whole flex thing, this wouldn't be a problem. Because remember, you had the we had the whole Bud Light Selly thing and all that crap. And now, you know, you can't flex. It's so stupid. Like, I. It's going to cost somebody a game just for just out of, you know, out of habit. I, I, I'm so I'm so over the NFL just trying to over police. But at the same time, they understand that they really can't police this. So they're trying to be as minuscule as possible. I'm just like, get over yourselves, please. I would just like to imagine there's some fans sitting at home like, you know, I would love to watch the NFL. I would love to to give them my money and give them my Sunday afternoons, but the taunting is just it's a bridge too far for me. So I will I will watch AMC instead in lieu of my Tennessee Titans. I'm, I must I must retreat from this uh from this nonsense. Can't do it. Like who who out there is actually annoyed by this outside what, of what was it is so so I, 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 but you know what the funny thing is mm. you do have a set of fans who hate the celebrating in the NFL like they hate it so much and they hate the fact that I'll go there black millionaire athletes are happy on a Sunday and damn it I don't want to see that on my TV because they're a bad influence for my kids but the concussion-like... true. No, no, it's true. My my large son, Blort. <laughs> Poor Blort. He's a sensitive boy. And every time he sees Lamar Jackson or, or, or Cam Newton celebrate a touchdown, he imitates it in the house. And he's spiked, I think, at least three vases and ruined a chaise lounge. It's really terrible. Mm. Well, prayers up for Blort. Uh, <laughs> He's got a team of therapists that are helping him with his anger issues and, and light racism. So we're working on it. The last thing I wanted to touch on, guys, uh, Draymond interviewed Kevin Durant this week, and it was quite <laughs> good. And he uh, he and Katie Gaslit uh, 
the Warriors front office and Steve Kerr. And um, it, it what, what did you make of it, Andrew? What did you make of the back and forth and what was revealed in that interview? Outside of Draymond just being a shoe in for inside the NBA after he retires. Oh, he, he, yeah, he, he was a shoe in like three years ago. He's so good um, at this. He's just he he's legitimately one of the one he's one of the smartest four or five smartest basketball players on the planet. Two, he's one of the best analysts of the game and got and a guy who can break down the game. Like it, when you hear him on on Inside the NBA, it's like this is what Kenny and Charles should be doing. Kenny does it a little bit, or used to he used to be a little more detailed, but now that the game has kind of changed and evolved. It's not like that anymore, but yeah, it's like, that's the analysis that you're missing. You're missing from a new era, you know, type of guy. Anyway, I, there was no real groundbreaking stuff there. Like it's stuff that we all kind of sort of knew. Like if you've been, if you had read books on the warriors, you know, run and, and, and read stories about how things broke down. It's like, yeah, that, we all kind of sort of knew that. Um, so I think if you if you kind of came into it blindly, which I know a lot of people did, it's like, oh, man, like this is, you know, and, and the, the headline grabbing stuff is going to be, well, you know, this is what they said about the Warriors front office. And it's like, yeah, we kind of we kind of knew that that was going down. And and, you know, it, it it's it's nothing. Um I think the Warriors organization understands we effed up. We effed that up um, because they 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 did, um, especially when Kevin comes back on a on an Achilles and a and it was an Achilles or an ACL because he had some ankle issues. No, yeah, he had some ankle issues. It was mainly the torn ACL though. Yeah, and so. You know he's he's pretty much he's nowhere near eighty percent and playing and it's like this dude gives a damn about this organization but at the same time we know that he's gone because he needs something to prove to the front office so I wasn't really shocked by that being kind of the uh, revealing thing coming out of it but at the same time like it was it was fine um, yeah. I, I guess we're too exposed. The the one thing I've kind of realized is that we're too exposed to what's going on now because everybody's got beat writers. There's, you know, four or five solid beat writers who can put together a long form piece or some type of literature or, you know, hop on a podcast, something to talk about these teams. You know, at, at best, there's four or five. Um, you're always going to have one or two. But it, it didn't. I guess it didn't feel kind. Of, it didn't feel groundbreaking to me. It felt like kind of like, oh yeah, we kind of, we kind of knew that it didn't have the punch that it that it should have had and maybe could have. Um, I think if we were a bit more scaled back in terms of how things are covered or what we do. So I I listened to it a little bit and then I was just kind of like, okay, so we're just rehashing. They're they're just confirming what was already out there. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Yeah. I also just think that KD is just, he's still surprisingly straightforward in real. 
at this point in his oh, career. Do, and, and at this, oh, Bob disagrees. Yeah, there's, 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 I think there's some things that KD, I'm not saying that he's pulled that he's holding back from, but very selective. There, Look, there, I'm just things. I'm just gonna say there's a reason that when the Times decided to do a schlong form profile of Kevin Durant, he led with a thousand words about the formation of the universe. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of. Uh, I didn't see that. Can you send me that my, after my, we get off? My, yeah, I'll send you a link. My if I if I filed a thousand words of throat clearing about you know that, I think most editors who I've worked with would. Would, would would give me a donkey punch before they'd let me print that. So kudos to them for for, for, for running with it. But mm-hmm. I, I, I profiling athletes is very hard. Finding you know, writing something truthful about an athlete is very hard. Writing something truthful about any public figure is a very difficult task. This is something that like the person who I think is best at it is a person who works for the Times named uh, Taffy Brodesser Ackner who's written every cool celeb profile you've read over the last five years. Um, there's one she wrote right before the pandemic started about Val Kilmer, which is outstanding. There's another one that she wrote about Bradley Cooper, where Bradley Cooper refuses to participate in the interview process, and she includes all of that. It's great. There's a one where she goes on the road with, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, God, I can't remember his name now. Um, I hate being that age where I forget things. Uh, he's uh, 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 Billy Bob with Billy Bob Thornton, where Billy Bob was like, "Okay, you can profile me, but you can't talk about movies at all. You just have to follow my band." Mm. She writes these great profiles, needless to say. Um, and the thing she says she always tries to do is to remember, like, look, I can't tell you a single thing about this person. I get to spend X number of hours with them and that sometimes is a short amount of time and sometimes it's more time um but i don't know anything about them all i know is the things that i've researched and i've looked at the product they create whether it's a movie or a song or whatever or with a really outstanding profile of gwyneth paltrow read many 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 copies of goop gwyneth paltrow's (laughs) lifestyle (laughs) and wellness Oh, website God. and product and band. The, the, you should read more about Goop. No, okay. I will not. Nope. Mm-mm. I'm good. Yeah, I'm going to have to pass it. About, about Gwyneth Paltrow, a wellness and lifestyle influencer, and her website, Goop. Um, you should know that. You at home, you should know this. Uh, but in any case, very, very long-winded introduction short, The thing that she says is like, look, I get X number of hours with a famous person. I cannot tell you what this person is like because I don't know. Even if I got to spend a week or a month, I still wouldn't be able to do that. All I can tell you about is here's what it was like to spend this amount of time with this famous person. That's all you should. That's all you can ever do. And so she doesn't try to do any more than that. And so it ends up being very, very honest. And the other thing she says is, look, the big trick to doing these kind of celebrity profiles, and this holds true for athletes also, is you try to figure out what the public perception of that person is and the degree to which the famous person either likes or openly hates 
that public perception, usually the latter. And you try to figure, you explore the space between how they are perceived and how they perceive themselves and the way that it pisses them off. And that's where the fertile territory, journalistically and in, in, and in terms of literature, comes from. And I feel with KD, it's very hard to do that because the public perception of KD is mainly for at least a good chunk of people as a weirdo internet troll. And I don't know if KD would disagree with that that much. Oh, I think not at all. That. And, and as to what else is there, like you can do that with Ethan Hawke. Cause like Ethan Hawke has a very clear perception of him as being a fucking auteur and shit. And so there are, I will not, between- I will not allow any Ethan Hawke slander on this podcast as there a before no Ethan Hawke slander. She okay. has a good profile of Ethan Hawke that you should read though. Okay. You'll enjoy it a great deal. I love but, Ethan Hawke. Speaking like, of, maybe I'll is... just do the before sunrise trilogy this weekend. You just gave me an idea. You can, you should watch that. You can watch priest. If mm. you'd like, I actually, I got to spend like about 10 seconds with Ethan Hawke for this story that I wrote when he was doing a play on Broadway a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, or rather, I didn't get to talk to him. I tried to set up an interview. His publicist wouldn't, weren't into it. Um, but he, he was in this play, in any case, where he had to smash a lot of things on stage. And the prop guys were, you know, they had to explain to him, like, okay, here's how you can fake break things. And here are some things that you can actually break if you want. Mm. And they were worried in, like, the final performance that he was just going to smash everything because nothing needed to be saved again, which he didn't. But in any case, during the performance I saw, he broke a golf club by accident. And we saw we watched the head of the golf club go spinning off into the into the off stage. And he goes, he comes backstage and he goes, What the hell happened to the golf club? And the prop guy says to him, like, what do you mean what happened? You broke it. It was very funny that he Incredible. voice himself a broken golf club. In any case, I'm gonna make a point here, which is about Kevin Durant, which is like I don't know if there is much – there is that much territory that is very interesting to be mined about how – about the differences between Kevin Durant's public persona and, and the way he is because he is so heavily invested into, like, caring so much about this public persona. And that's why I feel like it's very hard to get to the heart of who Kevin Durant, like, might be in a journalistic reporterly profile way. Yeah, I could be so, totally wrong, but I and, and I think there are some things in Kevin Durant, and I'm not saying they're personal things in his life. I'm talking about his career that maybe he isn't because even LeBron talked about this a little bit. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the barbershop, but I, I but it does kind of poke in and kind of open up some of what you know. Some of some of the personal things that they talked about, like he he talked about the pressure that, you know, that he feels a bit of guilt naming his naming his kid or naming his son after him because he knows the pressure that's going to come along with it. I think there are some things that Kevin Durant hasn't talked about publicly yet. In terms I'm sure of, there are. I'm sure there are like incredibly detailed and profound things about his life and his journey that make him uh, a fascinating human. I'm talking being. about just, I just like I think he's. I think he's still kind of. He's still worried about the public perception of leaving Oklahoma City. 
I and I'm not saying that that's that's like the root of where the insecurity comes from, but I think that's one of those things where we may never really know all that happened in terms of you know the whole thing with he and Draymond talking all that. So like I think there are some things that he maybe will never talk about because maybe he's just that private of a person and he's just there's some things that he's uncomfortable with uncomfortable with talking about. So yeah, he's gonna go on different go in different directions in terms of what he wants to talk about and all that. So like I get it, but at the same time I'm just kinda like, dude, you don't have to work like if I were interviewing him, I'd be like if you want, if you want to talk about it, fine. If you want to talk about it off the record, it won't be in there at all. But I think he's worried that people are out to get that gotcha exclusive, and I'm just like, I think dude, yeah. it's really not that. I don't even know if it's that. I think it's more he he thinks it's weird how into stuff about Kevin Durant and like the the behind the scenes and how um, how granular people want to get on his life. I think he is genuinely like, why are you weird? Like, I think he, can he I, looked, can I rephrase my mm-hmm. point that I was making earlier? Cause I feel like I didn't nail it. And I want to, I want to do another take. Okay. Here's the point. What, what Taffy explains is that you try to explore the tension between how people are perceived publicly and how they perceive themselves. Mm-hmm. And because Kevin Durant is so obsessed with how he is perceived publicly, it is very hard to find the space of actually how he perceives himself because he puts all his attention on how he is perceived publicly, whether that is random Internet beeves with like 14 year old kids or leaving the like what his legacy has been tarnished by leaving Oklahoma City to pay for the Warriors or whether his legacy was tarnished again or refurbished because he almost hit a game winning shot for the Nets last year after being like the second player in NBA history to really come back from a torn Achilles Uh, like because he really, really very openly publicly cares about the perception of how he is perceived, it doesn't leave a lot of space for how he perceives himself. That's, That's fair. That's better and more concise way of putting it. Take two. Cut the first take. Get I'm not cutting the first take. take. This is not... This is not how this works here, Bob. We, we don't. Get, we, we, we never get rid of first take. We just keep giving it to Stephen A. Smith. Mm, okay. I, I like that. We'll, we'll end there... Uh, Andrew, your pick of the week. My pick of the week, honestly, just invest in watching. Um, if if you want to invest in watching preseason football, fine. God bless you. I'm only yeah. doing it for work purposes. Um, but yeah, honestly, I would just invest in watching any type of sport because. I don't feel very good about the fall in terms of COVID and, you know, political, the the political climate of this country. So find joy in sports because I think we're really, really good. (laughs) Uh, um. Yeah. I don't know. Day at a time. Day at a time. Um, Your pick of the week, Robert Silverman. Hmm. 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 Um. Hmm. <laughs> wow. I got nothing this week, guys. I, I can't. You got nothing. I, 
I, as you can see, I, I don't prepare for this podcast Well, here's what you can all. do instead. In lieu of a pick of the week for you, and please, yeah. Bob, for the love of God, bring a pick of the week next week. Um, a Mac story. You're your pup. I don't think Andrew has been on the podcast. Oh, yeah, since yeah, 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 yeah. Max, well, I'll tell you all about Max the dog next week. My pick of the week is everyone should get a dog. <laughs> his name is Max. I've thought about getting a dog, honestly. Max is Max is getting very territorial over the last couple of days and barking at even the sound of anyone walking past the apartment. Um, so I'm trying to read up on the internet about uh, how to do obedience training at home without paying a lot of money. And it's leading me to a lot of websites that are called like bark.com or rover.com. And, and it's these are not good websites, but uh, Max is, oh. uh, is a good <laughs> Max is a good boy. Let me just say that. Max That's is a good, good. boy. I like it. I like it. Can he do any tricks? Uh, when he wants, uh, he doesn't even have to. When I when he wants some of my dinner, which he always does, um, I have trained him to sit and hit my hand in which I'm holding the food. So much so that once I start eating dinner, he now just sits and starts pawing at me, being like, "Yo, give me some of that." I like it. I like it as he should. Mm-hmm. Bob, we can follow you on Twitter at Bob Sayeta. We can read you at the Daily Beast. Go do that if you've yep. not already read Bob's latest on Tim Pool. Uh, Andrew, we can follow you on Twitter at Ahamfree Press. What can we uh, check out from you this week? Anything uh, you'd like to plug? Yeah, so there, there may be. Uh, so I'm bringing back uh, into the archives with Aham. I'm actually going to do uh, uh, episode limits. So we're going to do six episodes for season two, and then season three we'll probably do six because. Um, I've realized the research that I'm doing for like two episodes right now, a lot. Um, so yeah, uh, 20th anniversary of a, of, of a specific event, um, will be covered, um, coming up in uh, about a month and change. Wait, I got a thing. I got a thing to recommend. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should read the oral history of Adam Sandler playing pickup basketball. Oh, is that a thing? That's a thing. That's a thing. It is quite awesome. It is stories of people, I believe. Um, it is at melmagazine.com. Uh, if you Google an oral history of Adam Sandler pickup basketball legend, it is just stories of people in the Los Angeles area and elsewhere. And what happens when Adam Sandler just shows up and says, yo, I got next. That is, um, can, you, can you send me the link for that? I'll send it. I'll send it right now. Sweet, sweet. Because that might be my favorite thing, and it just on, just on the internet in general, is just randomly seeing. Oh yeah, Adam Sandler's playing. Like it used to be. Like oh yeah, Adam Sandler's playing pickup basketball. That's kind of that's awesome. That's cool. You know, he's out there, and it's just like oh yeah, Adam Sandler's balling still. That's good, and that's good stuff. Because he could, he could eat, I'm sure he has a gym at home or he has a court outside his no, house. No, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go play ball. And that's and that's the thing I love about it is that it's just kind of like, no, I, 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 I want to go to the 24-hour fitness and, yeah. and, and, and and ball with a few guys. Maybe one of, maybe one of them were decent. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Adam Sandler. Solid pickup basketball player, bit of a floor general. The article suggests not a ball hog, you know. Always oh, dude, he throws some dimes on the court. Like I, yes. I, I see, he throws the article, some absolute dimes on the court. 
the article includes all of those viral links of Adam Sandler doing like a whip around pass from the top of the key to a guy cutting. You are the best. You're the best, sir. You're my my best. Bob. Last second shot at the buzzer from Bob. There you go. There you go. (laughs) For that guy, Bob Silverman up there in New York City for that other guy in friend of mine, Andrew Hammond in Detroit, Michigan. That is all we've got. We'll be back next Friday. Bob, pick of the week. Start thinking about it. Talk to y'all soon. All right, the Atlanta sports guys, we have reconvened for the local hour on this Chase Thomas podcast. And, you know, I'm joined by Garrett Chapman of 99 The Game, as I am every Friday afternoon. Garrett, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. Just won $6 on a $3 scratch off. So it's a good what? day. What a oh, day. Yeah. <laughs> big, big day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was not expecting that. It was, do you do yeah, scratch offs often? I like, no, I don't. I just, I just said, screw it. I just saw one of them. Yeah, have you ever done that where you're just in the, you're in the store or something and you just have a couple bucks in your, in your, in your pocket and you're just like, yeah, screw it. That's no. Kind of how I, that's what I was thinking. No. I when I do that at a gas good. station, I, I end up getting another Gatorade or something. <laughs> see i was over there to get a red bull and then it's just like and i saw it and then I, and I, my i have like a money clip mm-hmm. in my wallet and so it's not very are you a drug dealer to carrying cash um, is that what's happening here max do we just learn that garrett's into uh illicit activities red bulls <laughs> money think, clips there might have been, been some euphemisms in there that we uh that, that fell over it's my like head. a little money clip that's like inside of the wallet so it, it but like cash falls out sometimes so i don't you got, carry, you cash carry a lot of cash yeah why are you cash carrying cash? cash no i don't carry cash it was the opposite <laughs> i don't know i gotta carry a couple bills for my my scratch house my dollar scratchers you know <laughs> oh my goodness you gotta, the real question you just, is what are you gonna do with all your your winnings that is true probably six dollars another probably buy six dollars <laughs> six dollars can get that's like a third of the way to getting a Coors Light at Truist Park damn well when you put it that way yeah you gotta get a couple more no I'm the op- <laughs> so I have a story on this and also Max Markovich is here Max hello good afternoon how are you I'm doing great. Today was the day I dove in on, uh, as you know, on the Joe Milton, Tennessee experiment um, mm. and have just become endlessly fascinated with how that's going to go. So, Well, I expect you to watch the day. opener against Bowling Green. We're not in contention. Oh, no. with- now I'm yeah. Now I'm all in on on just seeing how it goes. Like now I'm not I'm, I'm all in as, on Tennessee as you are. There you go. I like it. You're, you're already out on the K McNamara experience in, uh, in Ann Arbor. We were, yeah, we were talking about Tennessee's quarterback options, and it just brought back deja vu from last year of like eminently competent is is Cade McNamara, but nothing more than that. Yeah, and you got a guy behind him though. You never know, JJ, JJ McCarthy. We we should like that's a possibility. The hope, the savior. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, what I was going to say before we get into some Atlanta sports guys, um, there is a really sketchy gas station by my house. Um, here in Knoxville, and usually on my cooldowns and my my runs, I will walk to that one and get a body armor, get a uh, get a Gatorade Zero, and keep keep going on my walk. But I, it, it's super sketchy, and part of the like you can take me out of Atlanta, but you can't take Atlanta out of me. It's a strong, strong thing where I. I was more into this gas station because of how sketchy it was, where I was like, oh, there could be a stabbing 
anytime. So like I, I, I I'm just gonna walk in and see what happens. There's there's always some crazy stuff when I walk in there, and like the person at the counter um is just cursing up a storm with her coworker, <laughs> which is something that I very much value and just <laughs> I, I love. Like the customer service is is terrible. Um, there should be a bulletproof glass uh whatever glass uh, wall at this gas station there's not they're not worried about it they're about that life i appreciate that and there was this woman walked by in my run as i'm getting ready to go over there who was like uh be careful there's someone who was like throwing around a screwdriver threatening to kill everybody (laughs) and i paused and my dumb brain was like I got to see this because like screwdriver, I'll take my chances. If it was something more <laughs> serious than is more, more terrifying, like a, like a, a, a gun, for instance, then I would be like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to skip out on the gas station today. Screwdriver though. I didn't see her though. I literally walked into the gas station looking around of like, is there someone wielding a screwdriver um, as a weapon? And there was not. So anyway, I'm not going to say which gas station this is, but that is, that is part of, the Chase Thomas podcast experience on a week-to-week basis is uh, stumbling into um, sketchy gas stations because that's what I used to do in Atlanta. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Maybe you should get a dollar scratch or two next time you're there. I will not. That That is something I will not do, but I, I appreciate you bringing it back to these scratch-offs that you are all in on. I don't know what's happened to you, Garrett, but if you need to talk to somebody, Max is available. I like living life on the edge, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Travis Darnell. Got an extension in Atlanta today. What uh, what is your instant reaction to Travis Arno getting an extension, Garrett? Uh, I mean, I think it's good. I mean, it's it's the um, Langleyers and and um, Contreras. I mean, they're they just they're still a couple of years away. Uh, so this is and this is something that the Braves were probably going to have to go do anyway. I mean, they they were going to have to sign a catcher uh, because I mean it's been a bit of a revolving door, uh, so to speak, with his injury. So it kind of showed how valuable of a player he was. I think it's great. It's a team, uh, a team friendly deal. I, I think the the Braves are, are better off for it. Um, but it it it, <clears throat> it just shows that they're. I mean, the young guys aren't ready, uh, and Darno is, and Darno's here to stay. In two years, I think he's a great locker room presence. Just all in all, just a good thing. Not exactly expected, but pleasant. Max, what about you? Yeah, I, I kind of felt like it came out of not came out of nowhere, but I did not did not expect that to come down the, the pipeline. Um, yeah, super super team friendly deal. Uh, you know, two years, sixteen million. I think there's a club option second year. Um, or, yeah, and I you know I think it's the right move. I think as Garrett said, like you, you're not gonna want to, you know, Chase. You were you were spending all offseason saying you don't want to sort of bank on the young guys when you're trying to win right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Darno's a veteran. He's 32. He's reliable. You know what you're going to get. Um, and it's, it's obviously not an obtrusive deal in any way. So I'm, I'm all, all in favor. Yeah. Like it's just the, the health stuff. Like I'm not sure how many plate appearances we're getting from him next year, but you know, he has just been good. And I like having him in the fifth, sixth spot in the lineup. And we've seen how bad this catching spot can, can be when he's away. And when you rely on the young guys, because there's a time, a dark time that we've moved past the Kevon Smith era at catcher. Um, <laughs> like we're two weeks away from like the the, the corpse of Jeff Mathis um, arising behind the plate. So I'm glad that uh, that is behind us, at least temporarily. But also it's just like if you look around the league, this was something when I saw that extension, I was like looking at it because there's no like there the catcher position is pretty anemic 
across baseball these days like there is just not a lot of high-end talent like the giants are hoarding two of the best and the young future star enjoy bart and then buster posey now but like most if like just most teams just don't have this guy like they don't have somebody like a darno so uh, i think he is a unique piece and i think because so many teams could use somebody like darno i think he will be a valuable trade chip if somebody like langler what is it langleries langleries Langleers. yeah Langleers. Uh, he's gonna be a good player just rename him to Sh- langer hands i i'm just I, <laughs> like this that's a name i've heard in a long time yeah like let's just go ahead and bring back langer hands like that's whose new name is on this very podcast um but if he or Contreras pops and turns into an everyday catcher great if not like you still have darnell but i do think his his trade value will be will be strong next year because when you look around the league, it's just a dearth of ca- top of veteran premier catcher talent. Yeah, I mean, I think I think your goal here is just simply that you can't have a black like a black hole in the lineup at catcher right there. And and I think with Darno, I, I think the timing is weird just because of the season he's had and the injuries um, and the inconsistency. But with Darno, you don't you know you you sort of can count on if he's healthy. Um, you can count on a certain level of production where you're not going to be worried that it's just a complete void. Um, and that's, you know, at that price, that's kind of all you can ask for. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, our friends over at sports talk ATL has a, uh, a piece up on 10 players to watch during the second preseason game. So I wanted to talk about the Falcons. Um, their second one also to bring it back, Garrett, you were at, the first preseason game last week. I want to get oh, your yeah. perspective on what you saw um, across the board. Um, Did we get hang time numbers? That oh, is true. I didn't get that oh, text. Shoot. I actually took a video. Hold on, let me see if I can still have this video. Let me see. <laughs> I definitely did because I was I was like I thought it was hilarious, and then it was like a it was pretty good hang time. I'm thinking it was a couple seconds, solid seconds. It was a, an end zone <laughs> shot, but no. I mean, the game itself. I mean, it was it was just a, a dreadful game, but. We had really good, really good seats for it. We were sitting right there on the fifty-yard line. He was up there when he sent that picture. I was like, he was downplaying significantly what he was walking into in Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> like he was like, oh, I'm going to go to the game. They just gave me some. T-. No, they were like, Hey, how would you like to sit in the best football seat in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Oh yeah, and then we we ended the game. I think I was sitting three rows back on the fifty-yard line. So it was it was pretty sweet. <laughs> we, it's like the one where you can actually walk down to field level too, um, but you really can't see anything. But the cool thing about when you go down to field level is you can actually hear the conversations between players and coaches uh, because it was really quiet in there because obviously it's not it's a preseason game. You're not going to fill it up. Um, so I think it was maybe at 25% capacity at best. Um, so it really wasn't loud, so you can go down there. I was behind the Titans bench, and I was able to, I don't know, listen in on, on things that they were doing and get coached up and, players having conversations it was just kind of a cool experience and i mean i've never been to a preseason football game before so it's definitely a first for me but it was still a lot of fun um now on the field it was kind of a shitty day <laughs> i mean aj mccarron looks absolutely anemic uh felipe franks i mean he had the one big run and if it wasn't for that 52 yard run this falcons offense would have had under 100 yards of offense it was just a miserable day um i mean even young Hui Ku got it on the on the kind of difficult day he missed a he missed like what it was like 50 yard field goal um it was just it was just not a very good showing but the defense looks very good i think dean p this is something i think i was saying a couple weeks ago uh but with dean p's i mean he he can get this this defense potentially into the middle of the road rankings as far as like 
yards per game, points per game. I think he can. Um, and he sent a lot of very interesting blitz packages, and I think he's going to have this defense ready to go. Hmm. I am not as worried about the offense. I think they're doing a lot of shell stuff. I don't think they're testing a lot of stuff out. I am not worried well, about it. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm worried per se, but it's just it was just bad. It just looked bad. Mm. Orlando Ledbetter just unloading <laughs> on the god awful AJ McCarron. Just journalistic integrity out of here, out of here. He's done. He's covered this team for long enough. He is. He has moved on. AJ McCarron, can he be that bad? He looked terrible. I mean, there, okay. So, what was he? Why do he look terrible? Week, so he's got to be that bad. Yeah, like what did you see? What was it that made him especially terrible for a backup quarterback? I, I just uh, he doesn't have any movement. I mean, he, mm. I don't know what he brings. I, I really don't. I mean, he was missing passes badly. Um, I mean, maybe it was the offensive line not holding up very well. Maybe that's what it was. But it's just, it, it just, it was just not pleasant to watch. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just he, he hasn't been able to. He hasn't convinced me that uh, that he would be a reliable option if Matt Ryan did get hurt. Mm. Um, I see absolutely about, nothing, can... nothing that would lead me to believe that. But let, no, but what Max was saying with the Blake well, Bortles talk, I'm interested in the Blake Bortles conversation. <laughs> I, I would talk about that. That wasn't where I was going. I, I I just can't get worked up about the backup quarterback situation because mm-hmm. literally no matter like if Matt Ryan's out, like it, this team's gonna suck. Like it's just kind of. There's no way around that, and and it's not like you know. Certainly, you could say like if this team was a contender, it'd be worth investing in a good backup because, um, you know, if you lose Ryan for a couple weeks, you can stay afloat. But like, it, it's not. I mean, I don't know. Like we they kind of made the decision. Like this team had no cap space to work with, and if it had had cap space, it wasn't going to maneuver that onto a backup quarterback. It clearly wasn't going to invest in a backup quarterback early in the draft because there were so many other needs, and so it's just kind of one of those spots that like is going to be a weak spot and I'm fine with it being a weak spot. Cause if Matt Ryan goes down, the season's tanked anyway. Um, and, the, and if, you know, the, the crude reality of that is that if, it, if Matt Ryan went down and the team sucked, we'd be in a pretty good spot to get, to get his replacement. Um, but we don't have to think about that yet. No, not yet. And I don't want to think about that. It's just like the Trey stuff. It's like, I mean, baseball is different. Like the Braves just playing as well as they have without Acuna is, remarkable but it's also because you've seen this with mike trout and now shohei otani where he's the best player in baseball and the angels are like a game under 500 right now it just doesn't matter as much your best player going to like being amazing uh, unfortunately for those great players is that it's so much more of a team game um matt ryan or trey going down that that the season's over the the but there's no point i don't think it's like the trey stuff because um like the, the backup point guard plays an important role because you know Trey's going to play what 35 minutes a game in the regular season mm-hmm. and the backup point guard has an important role as we've seen with the Hawks where when Trey goes out like sometimes the offense falls off a cliff like the backup point guard is going to play every single night and play you know sometimes a decisive role in the outcome even if Trey is healthy the backup quarterback doesn't do anything ideally like if, if Ryan's healthy and he's and he's you know knock on wood been healthy all year uh, most of his career um, the backup quarterback is completely irrelevant. And so I think it's just one of those spots where this roster is not the roster is not loaded with with depth at really any position. And so quarterback was backup quarterback was not going to be a spot they were able to invest in right now. I would just feel a lot more comfortable if Chris Redman was uh was getting some snaps. <laughs> is Matt Schaub like retired retired? I think so. Yeah, no, he'd be on heist. 
Yeah, he he was probably the what was he making his last year last couple of years like six million dollars a year or something ridiculous. Yeah, I don't I don't that, think that, he's that's bad. the life, man. <laughs> he had a good run. Yeah, he he, he had a good run. Um, Jalen Mayfield moving back inside. Max, what do you what do you make of that and what you saw in the preseason game? Man, there are some red flags with this Jalen Mayfield thing already. Um, like, you know, he played tackle in college. Um, he, he, he flashed in college. I would not say he was ever, like, consistently um, a stud or anything like that. But he also didn't play that many games. In co- he didn't start that many games in college. And they, they put him at tackle to start this year because I think they wanted him to assert himself at right tackle while McGarry was out. And I think that they wanted him to play tackle. And he's not really built like a guard. Um, but it was sort of like when he was drafted, it was assumed like he's sort of the guard by necessity because that was the hole in the O-line. But now they moved him back to guard, and it seems like he's not even sort of locked down that spot yet. And so I think they're just trying to figure it out with him. And, you know, ideally they'd be figuring it out in a way that wasn't going to directly impact this season or, like, especially the beginning of this season. But it seems like he's going to have to play somewhere at some point. Um, and it, it, there are lots of signs that he's not ready. And so, you know, we were talking about the offense earlier, or Chase mentioned it, that you're not that worried about the offense. And I'm not that worried about the offense either. But if you were to be worried about the offense, if you were to build a case that it's going to be not a very good offense, it starts up front and like not trusting, you know, three fifths of the O-line, two fifths of the O-line, um, which could really just, you know, sort of derail everything. Um, I'm not there yet. And, and I want to see sort of, you know, who asserts themselves, who, who how it meshes. And, and, you know, maybe Mayfield is, is a solid guard and none of this is, is relevant. But if you were to be concerned about the offense, that's where it starts. Hmm. No, I mean, you're certainly right there. I mean, like, honestly, it starts and ends with that offensive line play because Matt Ryan can't do much of anything if he's playing from his back. Um, so yeah, Jalen Mayfield, I kind of like Jalen Mayfield more as a guard. I think that's just my opinion of him. Uh, I also like Caleb McGarry more as a guard. I think he I think he would actually fat, fit very well there. Um, but look, I mean, we need a right tackle. So I guess one of those guys has to play it. I, I mean, it, these guys are. This offensive line is probably the most important thing to watch. Uh, I want to see what is happening on this line just with the center position, with Alex Mack being gone. Uh, I want to see what Jake Matthews is doing. I, I really just want to see some of these starters come in and get some minutes in the second preseason game uh, because we didn't see a single starter, really, for the most part, outside of some of these young guys. Um, and it's it's the, the offensive line has been a work in progress since that 2016 run uh, where I think they played every single game. Every single starter played every single game throughout the entire course of the season, which just doesn't happen. Um, and then you lose Chester and then, and then you lose and you lose everybody else. And then it's just in this line, it's just been sort of in flux since then. Uh, but look, I mean, they have to be better. They have to be at least average uh, because Matt Ryan, I mean, he's not exactly a mobile quarterback. He's good at uh, navigating a pocket, but Jalen Mayfield, I mean, he's definitely a guy I'm going to be watching in the second game at left guard. Hmm. But it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that we're talking about the offensive line like this, because that is a spot the Falcons, you know, the previous um, regime really invested in. And, like, you're talking about Jake Matthews, who's making top dollar, who was at, at one point a, uh, an early first-round pick. Uh, Chris Lidstrom, a guard, who who was taken really high for a guard, first-round pick. Uh, Caleb McGarry, who was a first-round pick. And so if you invest that kind of capital on your offensive line, you know, fairly recently, not to mention, uh, you know, drafting uh, Matt Hennessy in the, in the third, I believe, and then Drew Dahlman in the fourth, um you expect that to not be like a spot where we're sort of like throwing our hands up and saying, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Caleb McGarry's better at guard. 
Like, that's not how this should be going. And so that's sort of the most frustrating thing. But, you know, I still think that the, the potential is there for this to be a an above-average offensive line. There are just a, a few too many question marks um, for a spot that this franchise has really tried to shore up over the last five years or so. Yeah, that's fair. I also think it's interesting that Quadri Allison's uh, position in the in the depth chart is very much up in the air and that Arthur Smith said it was a big week for, for him. So I'm curious if he's on the chopping block um, because that backup running back spot is still very much open. And as a JVN Hawkins stan, uh, could not be more delighted to see that uh, maybe he's going to be all right. Or maybe it's just Deontay Foreman's world and we're just living in it. No, I'm, I have a lot of question marks about this this running back room. I mean, it's it's just, especially coming from this Arthur Smith system, I mean, he wants to run the football and establish the ground game. Uh, I don't know if we have those guys to do that necessarily. I, I think we'll be, I think we'll be okay. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sort of like lukewarm about a lot of the these positions not named, that aren't like the wide receiver positions. I'm just very lukewarm. I think we'll be, I think we'll have a good offense. I mean, uh, but I don't know if I don't know how well it fits into what Arthur Smith wants to do, and and we I guess I guess we really won't know until we see some of these starters play, which I'm just praying that they that we see some of these starters. I think. Well, I think that's. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think yeah. I just think that that's part of it's it's sort of a similar conversation to the backup quarterback position where this roster was in such a deep hole, mm-hmm. like like the the position that that. Um, that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith came into was not one where they could afford, like they had to cut corners with this roster basically. And so you're deciding what corners to cut. Um, are you going to invest in a, in a real backup quarterback? No. Um, and, and they said, they saw that running back, you know, given the trends in the league and the kind of production you can get out of um, low cost running backs, they said they, they decided that that was a spot you can cut corners. Um, and you know, I, I, I understand that, that thought process and I, you know, generally agree with it, but it's just like, there was no win there. Like there was sure. Would, would you like to have Najee Harris in this backfield? That'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, but you couldn't afford to do that given the makeup of the rest of the roster and the salary cap space and all that. Um, and so I think it's just, it's, it's the same conversation we'll probably be having for a couple more years, maybe, um, you know, but (laughs) <laughs> there's no there's no good answers here right now and i think running back is one of those spots yeah i think so um but hey this is uh gonna be an interesting week and we're getting closer and closer only this one and one more and then regular season football which is going to be uh a treat um kevin herter's restricted free agency I'd, like we can talk a little bit about loss and signing Ooh. with the hawks um but I am now curious. I'm growing more and more curious because if you if you do a a quick check at who's left in the 2022 free agent market, like do y'all tell, stop me if you've heard this story before, guys? But an Atlanta Hawk who is an impending restricted free agent is now going to find himself in a market where he might be the best available role player available for a lot of teams around the league. So when we, we talked about John Collins at nauseum this past year is because we were concerned with how much money he was going to get and what this was going to look like. Um, I think the same same situation is brewing with Herter because he is now walking into a restricted free agent year. And it's Bradley Beal, 
who could, after October 1st, lock in a five-year, almost, I think it's almost $200 million contract extension with, with Washington. And then it's Zach Levine. After that, there's no one left. There is no one out there. Like you can, I mean, unless you're like the biggest Michael Porter Jr. guy, we'll see what his restricted free agency looks like if they don't uh, agree to an extension before the season. But Herter is suddenly going to be a top three commodity on the restricted free agent front. And I'm curious to see if that is going to affect how Travis Schlink goes into negotiations um, with him in the next two months because this was not a situation he had to consider until all of these superstars like Kawhi and Kevin Durant and it seems like uh, Kyrie and Harden are getting it done soon as well that like oh no suddenly it's just like going to be only role players and Herder might be the best of the bunch so I'm what I'm very curious to get y'all's perspective on this is this something that we have to start thinking about Max yeah I'm actually really glad you brought this up because it's 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 more about what you're not hearing than what you are hearing. Like if they were determined to lock up Kevin Herter and get that done, you would you would know that right now. And I think it's it's an interesting spot for for Schlenk to be in because he, this is this is the highest his value has ever been, like by a lot. Like what do you, what do you like? I'm not gonna say he doubled his annual value in in the playoffs, but like you know probably like thirty percent inflation based on his playoff performance. And so is 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 Travis Schlenk gonna? lock that in and um, continue to sort of limit the future options of this roster, I guess you could say, or is he going to sort of wait it out and let Kevin Herter's value find its level? Um, I think, you know, obviously we were, we were really encouraged by what Kevin Herter did in the playoffs and, you know, he's already probably better than any of us expect him to be. Um, But, uh, you know, paying him right now would probably not be, like paying him what he would get on the open market right now would probably not be shrewd business. Um, and so it's an interesting spot to be in. And I think it's clear that the Hawks kind of just want to wait it out and see what kind of, because everything looming over this is, is what is the big trade down the line? Like everything is setting up for that. Um, and so you have to kind of manage and juggle all these decisions around that axis. And Kevin Herter being part of a trade like that would would make a lot of sense, but the timing has to line up and all that, and so it's it's an interesting spot, and I think it's more important what you're not hearing on this than what you are. Garrett, what do you think? I mean, I see him making kind of what Joe Harris makes. I mean, I, I see him in that role, kind of. Uh, what is that? Four years, seventy five million dollars, something in that range. I think that's that's good money for him. I think that's that's well deserved. Um, I mean. It's an interesting way to put it, Max. I mean, it's like where you're not hearing about all of this, but I think I think Travis Link didn't Travis Link mention this a couple of weeks ago, saying that he was going to having these conversations with uh, Kevin Herter's rep- representation just a couple of weeks ago, just after uh, Trey Young got that signing. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was having those conversations, and and it's a, he's a guy that you want to have here in Atlanta. I mean, because he's a he's a key contributor, and he showed the value that he brings to the table uh, just in this past playoffs and. I mean, he's a guy I want to have on this roster as, as long as possible because he's he's a plus role player, uh, and he's going to be able to do things to do things very effectively off the bench or as or in a starting role. Um, I mean, he was a key part in this this entire Hawks playoff run. Um, but I, I like the way you, you phrased it, Max. Where it's like it kind of like it's the build up towards something like a, a which we assume is going to be just this impending trade. Uh, we're going to go acquire some superstar for a lot of these role players, but I mean. I don't know who that person's going to be just yet, but I like the idea of Kevin Hurst being in a Hawks uniform. 
I, yeah, I would also say like it's a precarious spot to be in because Kevin Herter is obviously like a really important part of this basketball team um, and was at times like our second best player in the playoffs, I think you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but like a lot of these teams get in, get in difficult spots when I know Chase has brought this up a few times when you pay role players um, more than like when you pay role players like stars, basically. And so Kevin Herter on the open market, if you got a Joe Harris type deal, would be making more than his role on this team. Um, but it's all, it's also the same position the Kings were in with Bogdanovich, where it's like, do you just let the asset go for nothing? Like, we none of us want that. And so you kind of have to play this game of, like, not getting in the sticky situation of overpaying for a role player while also retaining the asset and getting something for the asset if you don't pay him. Um, well, that's all, all and, the more reason to sign him right now, then. So he doesn't get that. Yeah, but you know, I guess it's a bet on whether you think his value will return back to some median level. Like Kevin Herter, this is the most valuable Kevin Herter's ever been. Mm -hmm. If you're betting that this is just the player he is, like he's he's going to be a really good starting caliber player on like a team that can make the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals, like yeah, go ahead, pay him. Um, But as we've said many times, you can only pay a certain number of guys. So, like, are you betting on him over DeAndre Hunter? Are you betting on him over Cam Reddish? Um, these are all questions that I'm sure they're they're thinking about. And we also don't know if Herder has told them, like, mm, I'm good. I want to explore restricted free agency next summer. I've looked at the market. I've talked to my agent. I want to see what uh, what kind of offer sheet I can I can get by playing extended minutes and what I. What I did, it's going to be a, a gamble, um, not to the the extent that Dennis Schroeder <laughs> gambled yeah. this past year, but I do think it is a gamble because, like you said, his vi- his his value has never been higher. And when you're a role player like that, part of I understand the the urgency if that's where he goes of like I need to secure secure the bag now because of just where I'm at because I I don't know if I can ever have a run as good as what I just had in Atlanta and. There's higher expectations. The rotation is going to be, uh, it's going to be, uh, let's see, how can I phrase this? The rotation is going to be more, crowded. yeah, I guess crowded is the, the best way. And he could get lost in the shuffle depending on how certain things go. And that's got to be scary for him because this is the opportunity for a role player like him to, to cash in. So he is a, he is a big, big situation on his hands that I'm, I'm very fascinated to see how this all unfolds. But to this point, I also think a lot of it's going to depend on how Hunter is. Like so much of these two, are, I think are intertwined this year. Is Hunter's knee and and Kevin Herter? I think it's going to be a very very interesting thing to monitor because I think the Hawks trust Herter a lot more, and I think it. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, there was also well, a piece in. Oh, one, go ahead. One one more thing. Yeah, like if you phrase it like this, he, Kevin Herter averaged twelve points a game last year. Uh, three rebounds, three assists on 43% shooting from the field, 36-ish from three. Like, if you just put that that stat line out there as, like, a, you know, a random resume type of thing, that's not a guy that you just, like, you know, blanketly say, all right, $20 million a year, right? Mm-hmm. And if he if he did that again next year, let's say on, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game, whatever, like, that's sort of... If he matches his exact stats, like that's sort of a regression back to his value. And I guess what I would say is that, like, if I was Kevin Herter's agent, um, you were saying, you know, maybe he wants to just explore restricted free agency. I think I would have the opposite. I, I think I would push for the extension 
right now, just so you don't have to worry about whether that logjam negatively affects your minutes, negatively deflates your stats, and therefore suppresses your value and just securing this value right now. Um, and so, you know, I think, yeah, his value is as high as it's ever been. And if he was to sort of just replicate last year, it would it would return back to some like probably closer to 10 to 15 million a year rather than the 20 number. But that's why you played the game, as they say. Um, one last thing. Uh, the Danilo Gallinari stuff is going to be interesting because his contract, I don't think any of us really like, but it's just one of the things they had to do um, to beef this this roster up to make a playoff push this past year. Um, there was a piece in Sports Talk ATL about this and whether or not um, this is where people jump the gun a little bit too much, where the piece argues whether or not um, the Hawks should trade Gallinari because of the addition of Jalen Johnson. Um, Jalen Johnson looks like he's going to be a player. I'm very high on Jalen Johnson. I'm excited to see how he acclimates into this group. Um, that being said, you do not move Gallinari for for a rookie like Jalen Johnson on a team that could win the East next year. Like you have to, you have to bring him along slowly. You have to, like rookies just don't make that kind of impact. And Gallinari hit a lot of big shots for for this team last postseason. And he's very hot and cold, but that's just part of being a bench guy where Danilo Gallinari is at this point, where he's someone who on a random Tuesday can win you a game because he just gets hot and goes 20 and eight. And there you go. You beat the Hornets that night because Gallinari was there. That is not something a rookie like Jalen Johnson's going to do. So the, the scoring aspect, I don't agree with. And I think Gallinari is going to be more of a factor, especially with um Akongwu gone um with uh DeAndre Hunter's questions with his health like I I just think that he is still someone who is a valuable piece at least for one more year before we even consider moving on from from a vet like Gallo no I mean yeah, I like Daniel think- Gallinari on this team I think he's uh, it- I, I think that's a bit premature, truthfully. I think I saw that piece. Um, I didn't. I don't think I read the full piece, but I mean, it was. It is premature. I mean, I think he makes this team better with him on it, especially with Nico Kongu, because he's going to miss six months. Because um, we're going to need a guy who can come in and play that four. Yeah, uh, and I, or five sometimes, guy. or even five. Yeah, so I, I think he can come and do that kind of a small ball lineup. Um, he makes the Hawks better, and it's not like the Hawks are, are really strapped for cash right now. Uh, we're under the cap. We're just fine. We've signed most of the players that we're going to have this year. Uh, so we're, we're fine. Um, I'm not worried about it. Why trade him? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I think, I think the whole moral of this off season is that the Hawks are, are going for it next year. And if you're going for it, you're not, you're not moving off of a valuable piece of your playoff rotation to, um, to, to work on the development of a 19 year old. Um, Period. Like a guy you took 20th overall who, you know, sure, looks like he's going to be a player, but it's probably not a guy who's going to help you much in a title race. I mean, that's kind of what it is. And, and one small note on Gallinari, I think we probably said a lot of bad things about him on this podcast early in the year. Um, but he, he, he came around, obviously, at the end. He shot 40% from three for the season. And one small note that I think is kind of important is that he signed a three-year $60 million deal, but the third year is, is not even close to fully guaranteed. It's I think it's like five million fully guaranteed, um, and the rest of it is is basically a team option if they don't waive him. And so 
you know, he's old, he, he's injury prone. Like if you wanted to move off of that, it wouldn't cost you much at that time. And so I don't think this is a situation where the Hawks, we talk, we talk a lot about their, um, like the salary cap and who they're going to pay and who they're not going to pay. This is not something where you need to move off to Neil Gallinari in order to eventually pay so-and-so. And Like they can move off that deal if, if they wanted to. Um, and so there's no real reason to look to, to move them out. Last thing we'll wrap up here tonight, guys. Um, the Hawks get a national TV game. Christmas Day. When was the last time we got to watch the Atlanta Hawks on Christmas Day? Has this happened in our lifetime? Has it ever, has it ever happened? I don't 1989 think... was the last time. Okay, so I was not alive. Wow. Exactly. That's And it's going to be great. Long time. Knicks, Hawks, Dominique Christmas? And, and was, I think they played, uh, it was Dominique Wilkins playing against the uh, the Boston Celtics. Celtics with uh, Larry Bird. It was a good game. Even even better that Trey gets to play at home. Oh yeah, I'm just excited. The, the, the uh, I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, that's going to be fantastic. I mean, plus you have the Mavericks opening up the season too. Uh, I, I think they're the amount of national television games, nationally televised games that the, the Hawks are going to get this year. <laughs> they they put the league Nin- on notice. In the playoffs, and I'm excited. Nineteen nationally televised games this year. Nineteen. Yep. Holy How many did we have last shit, year? I didn't Two, know it was that high. One. one. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, we had one, I think, last year. That's why that's why everyone was sleeping on the Hawks come playoffs. It's because no one watched them. No one saw them play. They, and no one talked about Zion, it either. They gave Zion and the Pelicans all those games only for that team not even to make the playoffs. And then, it was terrible. And then the Hawks come in here and take them back. Wreck the party, man. No, the Hawks Hawks are going to be a good team next year. I'm so excited for that. I'm, I'm so ready for basketball season. I need, I need the Falcons to be good enough to get me to October 30. Or what is it? October 20th was mm. the first game. There you go. I'm actually looking at this at the schedule. That I'm, just, not that like, just I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Like I'm in football mode right now. I am in football mode, playoff baseball mode. I'm not. I am not there yet. I, I, I'm. Chase, in, both of your football teams are going to be irrelevant in like. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. Mine too. Like let's let's just be real. I know my my dogs are going to be uh, doing just fine come October. They'll be in good shape. Uh, we'll really? see what they do against Clemson, though. That'll be that'll be. I mean, fun no, game. I think Florida's more of the more of the question mark there. Clemson, we can go and pencil that L in there, but um, Florida, wow. Florida is the one that Damn. I'm more interested in. Florida is the one. I kind of think they could beat Clemson. Okay, I, uh, I, Georgia can absolutely beat Clemson, but it, I think it all all depends on on who wins the trenches in that game. We're doing a ninety two nine. We're doing actually a full breakdown coming up here two Tuesdays from now. We're doing a full breakdown of that game. It's going to be. That's going to be a really good one. But it, honestly, I think... So you're overlooking Bowling Green, Tennessee on Thursday night under the lights at Neyland <laughs> on the SEC Network. We're just overlooking Scott Leffler and the Bowling Green Falcons coming into to Knoxville for Joe Milton's debut. That's what we're overlooking? Joe Milton. The start of, the start of Joe Milton's Heisman campaign. Yeah, of course. Oof. It's a possibility, man. It, he's either no, going to up. be... What's he, a possibility? No, 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 no. no. What I'm saying, not with the Heisman. What I am saying is he's either going to be electric and so much fun or and like go full Dylan Gabriel and we just look like UCF immediately or it's going to be an absolute disaster and we see Hendon Hooker in here in week I just, two. I just want to say I've, I've seen every snap Joe Milton's ever played in college. Like mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to have much fun. Okay, I just I'm just going to leave it there. No, won't do it. Uh, what I heard there is Chase drink the Kool Aid, 
Go Big Orange, VFL, Rocky Top, Let's Rock. Things are great. That's that's all I heard. That's all I heard. Um, I, I do like Alvin Kamara Hyatt, on the sideline now. The wide receiver. I you like who? Have a pretty big season. Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, I, I think mean, Cedric Tillman. This hypo offense. <sighs> yeah, it's just we have a lot of dudes. I would I would probably say Vilas Jones leads leads this group. Hyatt's been kind of banged up the last few months, but um we'll see. We have a lot of options. One of the cool things about Tennessee is they march towards 12 and 0 this fall is that they have a lot of new fresh faces. The air raid is going to be a lot of fun. They're going to catch a lot of teams off guard. So um, when they're in Gainesville and they, they they just demoralize Dan Mullen and Emory Jones and then they uh they they travel back to Tuscaloosa for their revenge tour based on what happened last year. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Like the the the, the, oh, the two headed monster of Tion Evans and um, Jabari Small in the backfield is just gonna be too much for for a lot of people to handle. People are worried about Wanda Morris and Eric Gray moving on, Henry Toa moving to to Alabama. Not this guy, Juwan Mitchell, linebacker <laughs> one. Who's worried? Alante Taylor locking oh, people up God. out wide. Oh, Walter oh, Walter Nealon coming in there next year? Uh Walter Nolan, excuse me. Like that gigantic defensive tackle at Powell. You Walter got the, Nolan's you got the, not going to Tennessee. He he is. And then you have um <laughs> you have um, just, Is this what Tennessee fans have do to like help themselves sleep at night? Is, is this what you get? <laughs> do you just like roll these things over in your head or something? Or are you just are are you still having nightmares of Georgia coming up to to, to Knoxville and dropping forty five points on you? And that'll do it for today's episode <laughs> of the Atlanta Sports Guys, where wanna, Garrett cut out at the end there. Knock, I want to knock Garrett down a peg. Mm-hmm. The, the way this the way this Georgia season goes, and then we can close out. I don't want to <laughs> belabor this, but the way this Georgia season goes, I hope you know, is they beat Clemson, and the hype machine goes to like 10, and then they lose to Florida, and then lose to Alabama, and that's how it ends. They, they beat Clemson, they go to like number two in the country or whatever, and then they lose, they lose to Florida. Maybe they lose one more like stupid game, and then they lose to Alabama. Well, that's 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 exactly how it happened the last year or one of the last couple of big years of Mark Richt. Uh, they had Clemson come to town, and they came to Athens, and Georgia just ran all over them basically. Uh, and then Todd Gurley ended up getting suspended, and uh, that ended up throwing a complete monkey wrench into the season. And that was whew, that was what started the Nick Chubb run, though. Uh, so it's like Nick Chubb started his hundred cons- or hundred, uh, what was it, 13, 14, 15 consecutive games rushing for over hundred yards. Uh, that's what started that it was a Todd Gurley suspension, but they lost to Florida, ended up losing the SEC championship game. So uh, that's exactly how that happened. But they're not losing to Florida this year. No, no, I, no chance they lose to Florida this year. Not happening. This is the arrogance that just drives people away from the georgia train no it's not arrogance i mean they're not losing florida, florida. Beat you. i can see them going i could definitely see exactly what he just said happening mm-hmm. uh, just not to florida they're not gonna lose to florida they're gonna they're gonna be ready to play that game max uh, you already see this coming lose, right lose a, they could lose a different game yeah max we yeah we, i mean I've, we already I, see this coming. i fully i've fully relinquished hope on on michigan they're they're gonna go seven and five um and you, you got a I'm tough schedule the Eh, yeah whatever it, it, it the schedule looks like a schedule. seven and five you could listen to our big 10 preview last week on this very podcast it but depends if you, it depends if you believe in like indiana and penn state and as you whatever, should but it's kind penn of state, penn state auburn was that week two oh i can't wait for that one that's that one's gonna, gonna be, be a delight out up with uh with auburn going up there that's gonna be a great football game and who doesn't love college game day starting off and let me check my notes here charlotte at the panther Ew. stadium because Clemson, Georgia is on a neutral 
site. Well, no, no, they'll be here in Atlanta. They're here right. in Atlanta for week zero. No, 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 no. I'm saying for that game. That's oh. week one. Oh, yeah, they're definitely in Charlotte for that. Yeah. Week zero, I thought they were going to be in Nebraska or Illinois. Mm, Why would they not just go to Illinois? Go to Champaign. Isn't Nebraska on the road at Illinois? What a doozy of a football game that'll be. Hey, I mean, Scott Frost, must win. Brett Bielma back in the Big Ten. <laughs> I'll be watching. I'll be watching, taking notes. I, I can't wait for that game. That game's going to be dumb. That yeah, game is going to be extremely stupid. In Atlanta. They're going to be in Atlanta? It's, um, it's for the HBCUs. Oh, okay. Wait, yeah, they did, they're doing Carolina that in week Central zero? State playing on ESPN 7 p.m. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. Uh, next weekend. Very cool. Are you going to the Corky Kell this week? I was at the Corky Kell on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. So I was up there at West Forsyth. Um, they have this tight end up there, number four. What's his dad going? I can't remember his name. Four-star recruit. Kid is an Oscar animal. Dell. Yep. He is an animal. He's Michigan so wants good. him so bad. Ooh. And yeah, so Michigan Georgia. was the first Georgia's to offer. Georgia's going to get him. At the Corky Kell Wait, you know year. what? This is how we bring this all full circle. Would you like to guess what the mascot is for the West Forsyth high school football team? I know what it is. Scratch off. Scratch off. Dollar scratch off. It's Max, a, it's do you know? <laughs> no, I don't. The Wolverines. The Wolverines. No. Okay, there we go. Hey, it's fate. It could be fate. It could be fate. <laughs> well, Garrett. Go check out my Part B Panthers tomorrow as they take on. A, well, I don't even know who, they, who they're playing tomorrow. I, I did see. Hoover's is it Mill Creek? Town. Hoover's coming to play North Gwinnett. Ooh. Ooh. Is Rush Probst going to be in the house? <laughs> Old friend. <laughs> Rush Probst, is he in the house? I think you guys are playing Lounds. Aren't you playing Lounds? Are we playing Lounds? I thought it was Mill Creek. Maybe I'm wrong. It might be Lounds. I'm going to look it up. Part B's back, though. Here. I'm looking at my Parkview helmet right now. I think Parkview and Brookwood are both playing in the Corky Hill. Back as nature intended. Uh, we are really far down this high school Georgia football <laughs> rabbit hole at this moment. So we will wrap up on this edition of the Atlanta Sports Guys that you can listen to every single Friday on this very feed. You can find Garrett at GChapATL and listen to you on 19 on the game. And also follow Max Markovich at Max underscore Markovich on twitter.com guys thank you so much for the time as always i will talk to you both next week yes sir nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah